Welcome. Here is this past Sunday's sermon from Grant Memorial Church. Uh, can I just say, I know there, most of them aren't back in the room, but I do want to uh, invite you to join me in thanking our choir for the way that they have served us over this past year. Would you help me thank them? So this, this is the last Sunday. That's why you got a grand finale of two songs. Um, this is the last Sunday that they'll be singing until the fall. Don't worry, the choir is not going anywhere. They're just taking a well-deserved Sabbath. It's a little foreshadowing into what we're talking about today. Uh, and they will be back in fall to continue blessing us. But what a, what a blessing it has been uh, to hear and to see uh, those within our community using their gifts for the glory of God and for the edification of the church. And so we, we thank you for that um, and look forward to the fall. Well, uh, my name is Cam, and I am one of the pastors here. And uh, how are you doing? Really, how have your last few weeks been? Super. We got a super up here from Millie. Now, here's a question coming out of the last one. How, how many of us in this room can actually answer that question without using the word busy? Right? Is there anyone who can actually you know, answer the question, how have you been doing lately without using the word busy? And, and if, if that's true, I invite you to call the church office, and we can put you to work really, really fast. <laughs> but for the rest of us, how busy is life right now? For my family, between uh, kids' sports, end-of-the-year music programs and concerts, driver's ed, not for me, for my son, uh, foster care visits, car appointments, work, church commitments, and much more, it seems like there's no time left to even exhale, let alone just be. I'm actually finding myself missing the good old days of the hectic Christmas season because we actually had more time in December than we do now. And I know that I'm not the only one, and I know that if I were to ask the same question on any Sunday, in any season, the word busy would likely be on the tip of most of our tongues, wouldn't it? Pastor and author Kevin DeYoung shares the story of a woman who moved to North America from another culture and began to introduce herself as busy. This is the first thing that she heard when meeting so many new people in North America that she confused it as a part of our traditional greeting. And so she began to start conversations with, hello, I'm busy. <laughs> and can you blame her for making this assumption? I sure can't because I know that that B word comes up in nearly every second conversation I'm in. We may as well start our conversations by saying, hello, I'm busy. It's like busy has become the new normal in our culture, hasn't it? And it's, it's expected of us, and we almost wear it as a badge of honor as we run from place to place and move from thing to thing. It's like we gain street cred because we equate being busy with being important or having purpose. And if you're not busy, if you have the audacity to admit to anyone that you are relaxed, idle, or heaven forbid, bored... You're pegged as being either lazy or somehow complicit in the oppression of the rest of us because you must be relaxing at 
the rest of our expense. <clears throat> what a world we find ourselves in. And a world that we simply accept, mostly, I assume, because we're just too busy to work for any sort of meaningful change. Well, church, speaking of busyness, in our study in Genesis that we've just come through, um, we have read the account of the most action-packed week in the history of time. If you think that you were busy last week to get that report in at work while still grabbing dinner on the way to soccer practice or whatever it was, can you imagine the nonstop activity of bringing the universe into existence from absolutely nothing to thousands of solar systems, including one with an earth teeming with life of millions of species and the ecosystem in which they can all thrive? That's what I would call a pretty busy week. And as we saw last Sunday, that week ended with the unique and intentional creation of humans in the very image of God, or we saw God's crowning achievement. Well, this week's text picks up after God has finished his sixth day of creation. And so I invite you to turn with me in your copy of the scriptures to Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 1, where we will see what God does next. Genesis 2, and we'll read from verse 1 to 3. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God, we thank you for your word, this short little passage, and pray that we would be challenged significantly by it today. Amen. So the first thing I want to point out about this text, before we get to the significance of God's action here, is that while we do find ourselves reading in chapter 2, we should still be in chapter 1. Now, what do I mean by that? Simply, the chapter break here in our modern biblical translations is incorrect. And a much cleaner break in light of the narrative structure of the text would be at the end of what we have marked as chapter 2, verse 3. Remember, the chapter and verse divisions in the Bible were a much later addition to the text to make it easier for scribes and clergy and eventually lay people to translate and find that which is contained in the scriptures. And while chapter and verse divisions are extremely helpful for us, they are not themselves inspired, and there are some divisions that aren't helpful in regards to flow or context, and today's text is one of them. Now, quickly, for those of you who are interested in this history, the chapter divisions we use today were introduced by Archbishop of Canterbury, Stephen Langton, in roughly the year 1200. So they're not new, but they were introduced in the 1200. Well, the verse distinctions followed much later in the 1500s by a Parisian printer known as Robertus Stephanus, or referred to as some historians as, get this, Robert Stevens. And yes, Stevens is spelt the correct way. <laughs> now, as much as it pains me to say that a man of such decorum uh, could have made an error, in this case, he did and should have left verse, verses 1 to 3 of chapter 2 in chapter 1. 
Although legend has it that he made his verse divisions while riding on horseback, so I'm inclined to extend some grace here. But regardless, this section of the text is best seen not as the beginning of a new narrative, a new chapter, but rather as the ending of the creation story proper with the inclusion of day seven among all of the other days. And its content is best understood with the context of what has happened before, not what is about to happen next. And so it's best to view Genesis 2, 1 to 3 as Genesis 1, 32 to 34. But you don't have to actually say that because it will just cause confusion. Okay, so if this passage is best understood in the context of what preceded it, what has happened before today's text? Well, in short, everything. Genesis chapter 1, within which we will include today's three verses, is the complete summary of the story of the creation of all things. In verse 1 and 2, we begin with nothing. And by our verses today, we read that the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. Everything substantially that came into existence did so in the verses preceding our text today as God worked to bring about all things. And what we read at the end of this narrative is the acknowledgement that God finished his creative activity and rested from the work he had done. Verse 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. What does God do next after creating humans? Nothing. (laughs) He rests. Now, what does it mean that God rested? Because we know that in one sense, God cannot rest completely. Because if he did, everything would simply dissolve into nothing. Since he is the sustainer of all things. And his sustaining activity is what holds everything together. So he didn't just shut down or disconnect. He didn't just close his eyes, turn out the lights, and go to sleep. In fact, Psalm 121 tells us that God, unlike the other gods in the ancient Near East, never sleeps and therefore is always active, in control, and ready to intervene on behalf of his people. Psalm 121, 3 to 4. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. So we know that God resting does not mean that God is sleeping. He's not off the clock in terms of his governance or his presence. And so what is rest when it comes to God? Well, our text specifies that God rested, verse 2, from all his work. Right? His resting is in relation to his creative activity of the previous six days coming to an end. In fact, the word here used to describe God's resting is the word Shabbat or Sabbath, which literally means to stop, to cease or end. And so here, when we see that God rested, it simply means that he stopped his work. He was done and his creative work was finished. But that still leaves the question, why did he stop? He certainly didn't stop because he was fatigued. And needed a break. He certainly didn't stop because he ran out of capacity to create. He certainly didn't stop because he ran out of ideas. God did not experience writer's block. No, what what we see here is that God's rest came out of a deep pleasure and satisfaction at the fruit of his labor. 
Can I say that again? God's resting came out of a deep pleasure and satisfaction at the fruit of his labor. Or in short, he stopped because he was satisfied. In the previous verse, uh, Genesis 1.31, God has just voiced this satisfaction. It says, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And his response to that satisfaction was to stop and to find enjoyment in what he had done well. In this way, the why regarding his stopping is the same question as the why regarding his starting. Why did God stop creating is the same as why did God create anything in the first place. What he set out to accomplish, he completed. And now that the work was done, he could enjoy or rest in the outcome. Imagine with me that you set out to build a house for your family. What would you do when the house was completed? Yeah, you'd stop working, right? You'd stop working so that you could move into the house. You could live in the home and enjoy the purpose for which you did all of the work. You wouldn't keep working just for the sake of working because working was never the goal. Living in a home was the goal, and you can now do that. The building is complete, and now the living can begin. And it's the same with God here. His intentions in creation were not simply to create for the sake of creating. God created for a purpose, right? God created all things for his own glory, his own pleasure, by inviting us, those he created in his own image, to come to know him in relationship and share in his eternal happiness. And so once humans were made, complete with a universe finely tuned to sustain them, he was able to simply rest within the purpose of his creation. He could dwell among his creatures, loving them and pursuing a relationship with them. The house was built and could now be enjoyed. And this is evident when we look at day seven within the narrative structure of creation. You see, there's something unique in the creation narrative here when compared to the previous six days. Because each of the previous six days ends. And day seven does not. Take a look. Verse five ends with, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. Verse eight, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. Verse 13, there was evening and there was morning the third day. Verse 19, there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. Verse 23, there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Verse 31, and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. But there is no, and there was evening and there was morning the seventh day. Listen to what Pastor Daryl Johnson has to say about this. Day seven does not end. Day seven is the reason the creator creates for us to enjoy what the creator has made and to enjoy the creator. Friends, hear that again. Day seven does not end. Day seven is the goal, the destination of the previous six days. It is the completed home within which God can now dwell among his creation. So what does that mean? It means that we're living in day seven today. 
Right? It means that we have access to know the one true God and to simply be in his presence, develop in relationship, and to begin to share in his eternal happiness. Friends, this is good news. God is dwelling among us and is available to us. Right? As verse 3 says, we are living in what God has blessed. We are on holy ground. Which is why... God, throughout the scriptures, institutes Sabbath not only as something that he did, but as something that we ought to do as well, so that we don't miss the point of his creation either, that we don't, in our own work, miss what God has intended or why we are here. God invites us to live within the joy of this reality of resting in his divine presence. And we see this human institution of Sabbath in Exodus chapter 20 as one of the Ten Commandments that God gives to his people, the Israelites. This is what it says, Exodus 20, 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So clearly... Based on the example of God's resting on the seventh day of creation, God commands his people to do likewise and observe an intentional day of rest where they are not to work in any capacity. Now, please know that uh, God is not anti-work, right? Last week, we unpacked the truth that work is good. Work is a part of the intended purpose of creation. It's part of our reflecting God's image to the world, is, is being co-laborers in the world, working as caretakers and stewards of God's creation and ruling over it. And so Sabbath rest is not a rejection of work. God actually allows six out of seven days to serve this purpose. But Sabbath is an acknowledgement that while work is good, work is important, it is not the ultimate goal. Knowing our creator is more important than working. In fact, knowing our creator and creating a world where others can do the same is precisely the desired outcome of our work. But it takes hitting pause from our work, from our busyness to truly engage in remembering and honoring this. To, To work without rest would be to miss the point of work. And because this is so important, God commands. He doesn't just suggest at this point. He commands an intentional pause for his people, lest they forget the greater purpose of their labor. In fact, he takes it so seriously that in Exodus 35, 2, we read the consequences of breaking this law. For six days, work may be done, but on the seventh day, you shall have a holy day, a Sabbath of complete rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. This is how seriously God takes this command. Not that he was excited to put anyone to death, 
but that he was so passionate about the Sabbath that he established high enough stakes to compel anyone tempted to disobey to keep its observance a priority. Now, what resulted in in Judaism was a long list of rules and regulations to follow so that one didn't break this command, either intentionally or accidentally, which makes sense. But, but over time, for many, the, the spirit of Sabbath was lost. And it became simply about adherence to the law as evidenced by Jesus challenging these regulations throughout the Gospels. Now, we don't have the time to get into a huge discussion on the the relevance of Old Testament Israelite law as it pertains to Christians today. But in short, for those wondering, we are not held to the law in the same way. And therefore, we do not need to be worried about being put to death if we mow the lawn or go to soccer practice on a Saturday. Okay? However, just because we are not facing capital punishment does not mean that we are off the hook and ought not to take Sabbath rest seriously. As missionary and writer Missy Takano writes, Sabbath is not a commandment we are bound to, it's a promise we're invited to enjoy. Church, Sabbath is not an obligation for us, It's a freedom that is available to us at the strong suggestion of an all-knowing God who knows us and what we need better than we know ourselves. And so while we may not be directly sinning against God if we do not keep the Sabbath, we are at best simply saying no thanks to God. We are at best rejecting God's advice, his perfect wisdom, his loving ideal, because, you know, we know better than he does. I believe that it is imperative for each of us to consider what Sabbath rest looks like and how we can say stop in the nonstop culture of busyness that we find ourselves in. And so for the rest of our time together, I want us to consider why Sabbath Why should we follow the example of God in Genesis 1 and consider saying stop, saying no, in order to intentionally rest to enjoy the creator and his creation? And that is the definition of Sabbath keeping that I will be assuming, right? Regular, intentional rest to enjoy the creator and his creation, right? So let's read that again. Sabbath is regular, intentional rest to enjoy the creator and his creation. Now, before we begin unpacking this part, let me just acknowledge that I am not an expert when it comes to keeping the Sabbath. In fact, I may be, in the words of the Apostle Paul, the worst of sinners in this regard. It would have made way more sense for someone else to teach on the Sabbath where I could simply take notes. So please know that I'm preaching to myself here And I simply hope that as I challenge myself, that others may be challenged from God's word as well. So why Sabbath? And the first reason it's important for us to intentionally rest is that Sabbath is resistance. Right? Sabbath is resistance. Sabbath is a way that we can break out of that cycle of busyness that our culture perpetuates and that that many of us admit to being trapped in. 
Theologian Walter Brueggemann wrote a book entirely devoted to this entitled Sabbath as Resistance, where he outlines the dangerous reality of our culture's insatiable appetite for more and the consequences to the individual, the family, and to society. Church, we live in a commodity-driven culture where the economic demand for production by industry and where the demand for more and more and more by the consumer creates a perpetual cycle of demand that has no time for moderation or rest. And this cycle wants to draw us all in. There's always pressure to do more when it comes to work. There's always... uh, Pressure to put in one more hour, to make one more phone call, to answer one more email, even if we're off the clock, because, you know, nowadays we can be reached anywhere at any time. But honoring the Sabbath, setting aside intentional rest, creates boundaries because it defines where work stops, And it resists the temptation to simply let our culture dictate every minute of every day, right? Saying no to the culture of now lets us live in a life that is about more than work and keeps us from becoming slaves to a system that does not really care about us or truly need us at all. Now, there are consequences for sure of resisting culture and resting. For the individual, it may mean saying no to the acquisition of all the things that we want because refusing to work overtime will come with financial implications. We, We may not get to consume as much as everyone else. For the business owner, it may mean allowing competitors to gain a larger market share because you're closed on Sundays or Saturdays or you turn off your work phone when you get home in the evening You may not win every battle in a cutthroat capitalism. But life, church, is not about winning the capitalism game or about acquiring the most stuff, about storing up in barns, Matthew 6, 26, and resisting the the cultural pull in favor of Sabbath rest will serve to remind us of that very and essential truth. Which leads us to the second why of Sabbath. Sabbath is recalibration. Sabbath is resistance and Sabbath is recalibration. You see, taking intentional time reminds us about what is important. Spending time with God reminds us that he is permanent when everything else is temporary. As Hebrews 1, 10 to 12 says, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. Observing the Sabbath invites us to hit pause on all the anxieties and stresses of life that seem to never cease, and it puts them in the context of a God who is above it all. It allows us to be still and know that he is God, Psalm 46.10. It allows us to cast our cares on him, 1 Peter 5.17, to present it all to God who grants us peace, Philippians 4.6-7, so that we can recalibrate as we head back to work that we all have ahead of us. 
Right? It reminds us that the things weighing on us are most often not the ultimate things. And there is certainly one most ultimate thing that is above it all. The next why of Sabbath is that Sabbath is remembrance. Right? Sabbath is remembrance. Sabbath invites us to remember intentionally who God is and what God has done. In Exodus 28 to 11, when God instituted the Sabbath, this is precisely how God defined it. The, re- the remembrance and celebration of God as creator. You see, after declaring the importance of keeping the Sabbath to the Israelites, the text goes on to say in verse 11, for or because in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The Sabbath was instituted in part to remember what God did at creation. And so a part of what we ought to do during Sabbath rest is remember God's creative action, to enjoy the world God created and to intentionally acknowledge that it all comes from him. Right? As we take in the beauty of nature, we're reminded of what God has created. As we spend uninterrupted time with our family, we're reminded that they are a gift from God. As we read books or listen to music, we're reminded that logic, beauty, melody are conceptions from the mind of God. In keeping the Sabbath, we are often led to have a stance of thankfulness as we rest in the enjoyment of his creation. And just as God found satisfaction in what he had done when he rested, we too are to find satisfaction and joy in our rest and remembrance. And then there's a second aspect of remembrance as seen in the expansion of the Sabbath commandment in Deuteronomy 5.15. It says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. Okay, so in, in Exodus, we read, God made everything, and he rested, and so you should rest too. And here it says, God saved you, and so you should rest. Right? The Israelites are told here to remember their salvation as they observe the Sabbath day. To remember how God saved them from Egyptian slavery and set them free. Well, in the same way, there should be room in our Sabbath to remember our salvation, our own freedom through Jesus Christ on the cross. Sabbath is intentional remembrance and thankfulness of your place in the world and in his family. When we observe Sabbath, we are compelled to remember what God has made and what God has done, which is absolutely essential for us to carry into our everyday. Another why behind Sabbath is that Sabbath is restraint. Sabbath is restraint. Just as when we talked about busyness of our economic work and the necessity to create boundaries, Sabbath invites us to draw boundaries around every area of work, including work in our home. Now, this is where we need to make a bit of a differentiation. Simply having a day off is not automatically Sabbath. Simply disconnecting to relax in the evening is not automatically Sabbath. 
Sabbath is not the same as downtime or me time. Sabbath is God time, or at least acknowledges God's presence and God's activity. Right? Sabbath is actual and meaningful rest, enjoying the fruit of our labor, not simply performing different labor, which means that it involves saying stop at home too. You see, the God of production rears its head at home as well. Many of us attribute our worth or value to what we accomplish, and so even when we've ceased working, many of us simply begin to work at home or at the cabin or in the yard. How many of us just cannot handle not doing something productive with your time? Is there anyone out there like that? You just can't let a day go by and just not accomplish anything? Leaving the grass unmowed? would kill you, leaving the dishes undone, don't even mention that, leaving the grocery list unchecked for an extra day, or the snow unshoveled, it would just drive you mad. I know that there are many who feel this way because I am one of them, right? I have a hard time just not doing anything. But what this shows us, if you're like me, is that we have believed a lie that resting is not accomplishing anything. Or that intentional time with God or family with no productive goal is somehow itself a waste of time. Some of us actually need to repent of this and let Sabbath remind us that our worth is not in what we do or in how much we accomplish, but our worth is found in the fact that we have been created in the image of God and no amount of activity or inactivity changes our worth or our value. Right? As we celebrate Sabbath and we just enjoy who God is and what he has done, as we say stop, even at home, we are standing against the God of productivity, which tells us that we need to prove our worth and justify our time, when both of those things have been gifted to us by God so that we can come to know him. This also applies to restraint when it comes to filling our calendars so that there's no time for intentional rest. Sometimes the best thing we can do for ourselves and for our kids is to replace opportunities for programming with opportunities for rest. It's okay, parents, that your child isn't on four sports teams every season. It's okay if they have a few months between programmed activities. Give your child the gift of rest. Teach them how to be even when there's nothing to do. Teach Sabbath to your kids because it is much more important that they know their God than they make it to every game, practice, and event or have every opportunity that you wish you had. The last why of Sabbath to look at today is that Sabbath is reliance. Sabbath is reliance. Simply The act of Sabbath rest is an exercise in trusting God, relying on him instead of relying on ourselves. When I say stop, when, when when I stop the giant hamster wheel of life, I'm putting my faith in God for my needs rather than my own efforts. Listen to what pastor and author Louis Giglio has to say about this. He says, without Sabbath... 
We forget who we are and lose sight of who he is, leaving us to carry the weight of the world on our shoulders. When there is no Sabbath in our lives, we become intoxicated by the lie that the sum of our lives depends on our effort alone. We get to the place where we truly believe that the outcome of the story fully depends on us. But in truth, we are tiny, limited beings. Our biggest and best efforts still accomplish far less than what God can do in us, through us, or without us in one breath. Friends, I know what it is like to think that you have no choice but to keep on sprinting. That you're simply a victim of your circumstances and that there's no chance you could find time for Sabbath. Because I feel that way a lot of the time too. But here's the thing. If God himself, maker of the entire universe, sustainer of all things, can intentionally rest and we think we can't, I think we may be taking ourselves a little bit too seriously, right? If I don't put in that extra day or a few hours, guess what? The church won't fall apart. The same is true for you and your business or your job or your family responsibilities. Friends, it is an exercise in humility and trust to say that the world will continue to turn whether I put in the extra time or not. My family will continue to eat even if I don't run myself ragged for that promotion. My kids can still become the men and women of God that he's designed them to be even if they aren't signed up for every activity available to them. Church, God is sovereign. And he is sovereign even without our help. Significant part of the Christian worldview is admitting that we are not God. I know that sounds funny to say, but we need to know that plainly. It is not our work, our effort, our provision that ultimately takes care of us. It is God, the very one who made us, the very one who saves us, who takes care of us. And the Bible says that he's really good at his job. Friends, we don't need to play God. What we need to do is spend time with him so that our trust will increase as we let him do what we are so tempted to do ourselves. Now, as we wrap up this morning, you'll notice that I didn't outline exactly what honoring the Sabbath looks like, right? We talked about the, the why, but not the what. If you're sitting there thinking, I'm not sure what he's even suggesting that we do, or you're asking, what does that mean for me and my family? You're asking the right question. You've understood exactly what I'm trying to do. You see, I'm not interested in telling anyone what you have to do or what you cannot do to keep the Sabbath. Right? It must be a full Saturday that you put aside from sunrise to sundown. Or Sabbath can be kept on a Tuesday evening instead. Or I'm not interested in telling you that watching TV is off limits on the Sabbath or that your phone should be silenced, although those, those might be good ideas. I'm not here to define resting for you, that it involves reading a book or hiking or playing a game with your kids, knitting, praying, painting, doing devotions, listening to music. This isn't about being legalistic. This is an opportunity for you and for me to step into God's invitation to rest, to enjoy and be satisfied as he was with what you see from him. 
What I want us all to leave with is the encouragement to meaningfully consider the question, what does it look like in my world to honor the Sabbath? What does it look like in my home to say stop and build into my life the rhythm of regularly, intentionally resting in God and his creation? And if you leave today meaningfully considering that, then the word of God has done its job in your heart today. Church, we live in an age of grace. We don't have to do anything. But I believe that we all should do something to begin the important work of Sabbath keeping. Because continuing to let the busyness of life dictate every moment is not a recipe for health or for growth in the relationship with the creator God who made me, who made you, and everything else before he stopped to enjoy what he had made. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the permission to consider this. Lord, I think a lot of times we feel like we are victims of this uh, world that we find ourselves in, Lord, but you remind us that we are not. God, I pray that you would convict us, Lord, that as you send us out from here, you would help us meaningfully discern what Sabbath rest looks like in our lives, that we would come to know you, that we would be welcome to enjoy what you have created. God, help us to follow in your example. We thank you that you are not a workaholic who demands that from us, but you are a God who rests and says, my burden is easy, my burden is light. Come to me. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening with us. For more information about our church or upcoming services and events, please visit us at grantmemorial.ca or on social media at at Grant Memorial Church.